weirdly, I suppose, and who could really say for sure about this kind of thing? You might say that the beginning of the beginning of the end for me with dear old Howard came about one night when we were all sitting around after an early dinner, Howard, Judy, and the usual crowd, and suddenly everyone decided we should go to see a play. We should all go off to see this play that had been incredibly popular for that whole year, The Trojan Horse by Reginald Longleat. I suppose maybe they were all in one of their occasional fits of sociological prurience and just wanted to see what nonsense the public was consuming that year, or God knows what. I imagine I went along because maybe I thought I would like the play, have some fun, actually enjoy myself, God forbid, or some such absurdity. Anyway, I guess I must have been the last one in line to buy my ticket to the play because the others were sitting all together in a group and I sat alone two rows in front of them. Well, the play was supposed to be this charming comedy. But the writer's hatred for the human race, or for everyone not just exactly like him, one might say, kept oozing out of it, like blood oozing out from a closet full of bodies. There was something about the writing. It was horribly jarring. One was constantly wondering, how in the world had he chosen these particular words? Was he just simply out of his mind, or what? Can any word at all be used in any way? Longleat's approach to grammatical forms made me think of some sort of corrupt plumber who had screwed into alignment some series of pipes that never were intended to fit together, where, I mean, the whole thing was absolutely bound to explode, but maybe not until the plumber was safely out of town. It was all so ugly, and the whole play was incredibly boring, and it wasn't even funny, because all of the jokes felt totally flat, you know. And as I sat there watching this awful play, I began to feel a rather unexpected longing to turn around in my seat and look back at Howard. I mean, this happened to be one odd moment when I really wanted to see Howard's face. I wanted to see that look of incredulous dismay, that rather exaggerated expression, which even from a very great distance away, you could read as saying, Good God, is this actually occurring? So, when Longleat served up this particularly witless, terrible joke, it was vicious as well, if one happened to think about it, and the sadistic audience was hooting with pleasure, I twisted around quite suddenly in my seat and looked directly over at our little group. But none of them saw me. They were laughing their heads off. Howard, even more than the others, he was roaring with laughter in that eloquent phrase. And it was as if a strange sort of silence had descended, and I could feel the world spinning very oddly for a moment. Well, 
So the next week was my birthday, and Judy decided to have a party for me. About fifty people, all of their friends, even people I liked. A regular party. Paper hats, toy trumpets, games on the lawn, croquet, etc. And Howard had said, I'll barbecue the meat. So it was the day of the party, and people began to come over around five, and one of the families brought along a girl who was a student from Denmark. Well, I was drinking and joking around, and for whatever reason, and I wouldn't know because I'm not at all familiar with Danish culture, this student was somehow attracted to me and found me very amusing and kept brushing up against me. So somehow we both wandered off into the garage and without giving the whole thing a great deal of thought, we were somehow kissing and I put my hand underneath her shirt and was fondling her breasts. Well, all of a sudden, Howard walked into the garage to get some coal for the barbecue, I suppose, and it was this farcical moment. The Danish girl ran into the house Howard ran off in the direction of the lawn, and I really didn't know quite where to go, so I went into the tool shed. Well, there was nothing really to do in the tool shed, so I sat there simply playing with my dick. And while I was playing with my dick, I looked through a little eye-level window, and I saw Howard wandering around on the lawn, not quite sure just how he should proceed. And I said to myself, I can't stand this man. I can't stand this man. And I don't share any of this man's beliefs. God, you know, it was so fitting in a way. Everything started when I was at a concert. Emotional works for string orchestra. I decided to go off and spend an evening by myself. And I sat there watching, listlessly watching, watching the musicians under the bright lights. They were playing wonderfully, leaning forward, so committed, their heels digging into the stage. And then suddenly, the lights seemed to flicker for a moment. But the players went on playing, and then all at once, we were in total darkness. The audience made an odd little sound, like the hoarse sound of a broken bell, and started to run. I thought of a movie I'd seen of cows in a corral. Then a door opened at the back of the stage, and we could see through it onto the street. Behind these scurrying musicians holding their instruments to their chests, we saw flashes of light. And then, possible, then we heard shots 
not one or two pops, but shooting like you'd hear on the evening news, a sound that in spite of everything we never really thought we'd hear live, so to speak. And so that was it. Everything started over from that moment. Well, it hadn't happened for a long time, but now it was happening once again. Those odd demonstrations must have been real after all. The price of heating oil, cooking oil, rice, shoes, had driven people to give voice to some minor distress. So, of course, it was inevitable that the serious individuals who led our country would begin to respond. Our rulers had learned a very simple lesson years ago. At the first sign of an inflammation on the surface of the body politic, cut away the infected area, and then immediately cut several layers below it. If someone writes a nasty slogan on a wall, don't just strike back at that insolent person. Find 50 people who ate their lunch that day in the same cafe as that person and strike back even more viciously at them. And so within a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, 10,000 examples of human remains, as the newspapers called them, human remains, had shown up in every sort of inappropriate spot, such as the carousel in the middle of the park. And at least that many people had been unceremoniously arrested by the police. There was a week when we went to three funerals of friends. Two had been sitting quietly in restaurants. Someone had come in, had said, don't get up then walked around behind them and shot a hole in the back of their heads, blood pouring out of them onto their plates. Naturally, the economy flew out of control. No more pet food. We gave all our animals to friends who had farms, except that I insisted on keeping the cat. Certain friendly editors of important magazines offered Father the opportunity to write certain articles, in any one of which he could have placed a few sentences that might have hinted mildly at attitudes or current thoughts, which might have pleased our rulers. But he explained to the editors that he was in the middle of writing a very long poem and could not be disturbed. I'll get back to you in a few months, he said. Jack wanted me to leave, to go live with him in some apartment he'd seen on the other side of town. He talked to me compulsively about father's vanity, his supposed hypocrisy. He mocked father's 
love of expensive stationery. It's the very same stationery that Martin used when he ran that weekly conference for the Office of Values, he said more than once. And he never stopped trying to get me to agree that Father's taste in music was actually quite vulgar. From then on, more and more frequently, I'd find that my mind had just slipped away from me following some peculiar will of its own. One day, she said to me something like, I don't understand your relationship to society. I don't understand your relationship to the world you live in. Can I tell you something I said to her snappily? Do you know something? I don't understand my relationship to my own ass. I mean, I was standing naked in the bathroom this morning, and when I saw my ass in the mirror, I just said to myself, what is that? What is that? And what does it have to do with me? The strange thing was that I was talking so much and saying things. Jack. Yes? Jack. For God's sake, will you stop bothering me? But I could perfectly well have said other things instead. Jack, people cry at funerals. Excuse me? I was just saying that people very often cry at funerals, and I was wondering... Please don't criticize me, Judy. Please, please don't. I swear, I've never pretended to be anything different from what I am. Never. In fact, I've tried to tell you about myself, about what I'm like over all these years, but you've refused to listen to me. So now what are you telling me? What, that I've let you down, that I'm a disappointment? I've paid you the respect of constantly trying to tell you the fucking truth. And now you're attacking me because you didn't pay any fucking attention. You really are a cold, insensitive bitch. I fell on my face in the grass in front of him. I hugged his legs. I'm sorry, he said. Love can't save you. But what about the idea of a better world, I said. Well, I did take a bath this morning, if that's what you're asking. What are you asking? I'm asking you, don't you, don't, don't you remember the way you felt on the day when we visited that fucking orphanage? You mean, on that trip? That was a long time ago. What, what orphanage are you talking about? I'm talking about the orphanage with the orange trees outside it. Can you remember the way you felt when you picked up that sick little girl and your shirt was completely soaked with her sweat? Do you remember that you said, should we take her with us? No, not really. I mean, what are you now? Do you you see yourself now as just what? As what? I don't see myself as anything at all. Judy, you see, you're looking at me. This face is me. This body is me. This is me. 
And this is all there is to me. Jack, please. Look, there's no need to talk anymore. It's so simple. You say you love me. Well, if you love me, make a sacrifice for me. Take a risk for me. Suffer for me. Otherwise, what are you talking about? You're talking about nothing. I don't want to live with your father anymore. I'd like to leave here, and I'd like to take you with me. Please decide what you're doing. I don't want to talk about the whole world. I still said to him, Yes, you see, you can't imagine it, but I honestly believe that one day, one day the many living under the heel of the few, I believe it will end. To you, that's a joke. You can't picture it, but I can. You made me, she said, trying to sum up all the things that had happened over years. You made me, and then you annihilated me, and then you breathed on the corpse and awakened me. Over and over. How could a life like that have gone on forever? Useless to hold her hand to try to explain. Here's my explanation. I felt this. I felt that. No. No, that's not an explanation. A couple of days later, there was a group of men on the front lawn. They asked to see Father. They looked like the people who came over all the time. Father put a robe on over his pajamas, put on his slippers, came downstairs. They said nothing. They smashed his face in with their hands and fists, left him bleeding and ran away. The next day, Jack moved out of the house. What can I say? It was a day when something finally just broke in my head, and I was in terrible shape. Then I ran out of the house, and I felt better, so I never went back. You know, it was actually my body that ran out of the house. Do you see what I'm saying? What propelled it, it didn't know. And actually, no one knows, and no one can know. I can certainly describe the afternoon. It was a horrible, horrible cold afternoon, and I was freezing cold. For a long time, I was trudging back and forth along the depressing hallway of the upper story of Howard's house, and, of course... There'd been the beating up of Howard just the day before, and so every few minutes I'd hear a painful sound coming out of the room where he lay, where he lay coughing and choking in a mess of bandages. Christ, what could be done for poor Howard? He was all alone, a tiny little man like a little fly in that big bed, no one to help him. Then, eventually, I entered our own bedroom, and there was Judy wrapped up in our bed. 
She too wasn't well, or you could say she was exhausted, hadn't slept, whatever. And she too clearly was freezing cold. I sat down in a chair by the bed and looked at her face. Well, I mean, you know, I guess we were talking in a manner of speaking. And at a certain moment, I felt I saw her skin grow suddenly pale. And I thought, oh, yes, the pallor of a corpse. Her tongue, as she spoke, was very pale, like a child's lollipop. And then, for some reason, she stopped speaking, pulling the sleeves of her sweater out over her hands to keep in the warmth, her teeth chattering. For a moment, I thought it wouldn't be hard to kill her. Dreadful, of course, in its physical manifestation, but not difficult to do. And I thought of all those years of getting up each day and reading in the newspaper all those terrible stories, always written in that special tone, <gasps> so hurt, so shocked about the people who committed unspeakable acts, the murder, the stabbing. How could anyone commit such an unspeakable act? That whole attitude was falling away from me very fast. How much longer could I go on pretending to be hurt and shocked by unspeakable acts? Then she seemed to be falling asleep, and I thought I saw a corpse with a beaten-in face. How would I do it? I imagined running outside into the garden, the rain pouring over me, soaking me through. I was running across the lawn, searching for something, the hammer, the shovel, then tripping on a croquet mallet, picking it up, running back to the bedroom and then finding her uncomfortable in her sleep, shuddering and snuffling and thinking, no, no, I can't hurt her. And then staring at her in the bed and wondering, how could so much joy, so much happiness for me have been contained in this one little package then I got into the bed beside her and slept and dreamed. And in my dream, I woke up and my face felt wet. Tears? No, it seemed to be blood. The cat had clawed me. blood on my chest, my back. I was seriously wounded. I'd been in a battle. And soldiers were picking me up and carrying me to a hospital where the doctors were kind and polite. And I dreamt that Howard was in the bed with Judy and me. Please calm down, Jack. And I dreamed that Judy was speaking to me. You remember the place, past the bell tower, the meadow. What? The trees, the clearing, the metal sculpture. You said a swan or a duck. The track where the children ride in carts. And Jack, 
Could you say, I love you, before you go? Say those words. Think about it. Isn't it extraordinary to use the same words that have been shared and used by so many human beings, by people so different from you in every way? Here, take my hand. Wait, no! You're trying to kill me! I was awakened by the sound of my own shouting. I ran out of the house, and I was out for good. As I lay in bed on that awful cold day, after the men came to beat me, I kept going in and out of consciousness. And at one point, I fell into a sort of fantasy about Joan. And in the fantasy, I was lying in bed with warm pillows and blankets. And there was a low fire sitting in the grate. And Joan came into the bedroom, bringing me a delicious sandwich on a white dish. And after I'd eaten it, She sat beside me in the bed, and we looked out the window as she held me very tightly. Through the window, under a bright moon, we saw horses playing on the grass outside and birds playing in the sky above the house. And her very cold hand was stroking me slowly but purposefully with a delicate motion. And at the same time, I was thinking about death. And I was saying to myself, for God's sake, will you stop struggling? Lie back, put your head on the pillow. Close your eyes. Just wait for the moment that you know will come. It's a certainty. You've been listening to The Designated Mourner by Wallace Shawn. I'm Andre Gregory, and I directed the production. The actors were Wallace Shawn as Jack, Deborah Eisenberg as Judy, and Larry Pine as Howard. Bruce Odland was the engineer, composer, designer, editor, and podcast director. Mastering was by Mark Fuller. The original producers were Celeste Bartos and Scott Rudin. Jennifer Tipton was the co-creator. These podcasts were produced by Mac Rogers and Sean Williams of Gideon Productions. (laughs) 